Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is J. Clint Anderson, Ph.D., who is founder and president of the J. Clint Anderson Company. Today we will discuss ways to create a positive team culture. Clint has worked as a trainer, coach, and consultant with government, nonprofit, and for-profit organizations. He developed and owns the Trimergent Leadership System, which includes leading self, leading teams, and leading organizations. This leadership development process is based on a synthesis of organizational theories different than traditional scientific management programs that he believes yields superior results. Clint has a Ph.D. in organization and management. Clint, welcome. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I'm looking forward to spending some time with you and with uh, with our audience. When we talk about a team, I think that for many people it's a very simple concept, but is there an, a definition of team? How many people do you have to have before you can describe something as a team? What are the elements that are required to have a team? When I'm discussing a team, I'm discussing a group of people within an organization that have a shared responsibility. So some leaders in, or, in organizations call their entire organization a team, but, but technically that can't be a team because there are too many varied responsibilities, unless the organization is a startup where there's only one group of people that are responsible and share responsibility for the whole organization. So so I define a team as a group of people who are connected in a way that they share responsibility and seek to fulfill that responsibility together. Is there a limit in size? Is a team Can a team be two people? Can a team be 100 people? A team can be two people. Uh, when you get to a certain size, usually in most organizations, the responsibilities de- uh, determine how big the team is. Usually you wouldn't have a 100 people that share one responsibility in an organization. So, so what would happen is you might have five groups of people with five different responsibilities. Then you go up one level of the organization, and there may be two leaders that work with them. So those two leaders would have their individual team. So, again, it's that... It's one leader or a group, and the group of people that, that that leader is responsible to achieve a result with, and it's that, that that singular group and that one responsibility. When you get up to about most most teams that I've worked with, 15 is probably about as big as any one group would get. Although some could become larger. Once you get beyond 15, it becomes the social dynamics become very challenging for a leader. Is there a difference between a team in a for-profit or a non-profit or a government organization? The difference is related to the bottom line and the mission, uh, the direction, what the team is about. So, for instance, a, mission, uh, a, a, a team in a non-profit might have a different bottom line, which may be some social good or, or some outcome they're related to in terms of serving the community. In a government uh, situation, that team may have a different outcome, such as some uh, uh, serving the, the public in some way in a specific area of responsibility. And then in a, in a company, usually there is a mission, but there's also an outcome that needs to be measurable in terms of profit. So those are probably the primary differentiators, but the same function in terms of the quality of the work group and its ability to produce that desired result would, would, would operate in a similar fashion. Are there situations where the characteristics of that mission affect your definition of a team, or is that classic definition you shared with us pretty much straight across the board, no matter what the the final mission is? Well, the word mission and many of the words that we will use today, even the word team, uh, frankly, has lost a lot of that. These words have lost a lot of their meaning and are very hard to define because there are so many people writing about them and there are various definitions. And some people, uh, for instance, some people differentiate mission and vision, which I do, and others think that mission and vision are the same thing. So I spend a lot of time uh, with leaders and members of teams just making sure we share these common definitions so at least we can communicate clearly with each other and be speaking the same language. In, In my system, mission answers three questions. Who are we? Why do we exist, and what difference will we make? 
And so that's true if it's the mission of the organization, that's true if it's the mission of the team, or that's true if it's my mission as an individual, which is where that tri-emergent system comes in in terms of merging three levels of organization out of one philosophy and set of skills and practices and theories. When you're looking at an organization, which is, of course, the, the bigger umbrella that the team is going to be under generally, right? Mm-hmm. Why is a team important, or is a team important? Well, well, uh, organizations exist at three levels all of the time. There's the organization as a whole. Then there's the group of people who collectively take responsibility and share work in a way to achieve a part of the work of that organization as a whole. And then, and then organizations exist at the individual level. And teams are important because teams are where those individuals connect to the organization and to each other. And they are where that people can be uh, led, people can receive feedback, people can cooperate at the highest levels. And when those teams' collective responsibilities are fulfilled, then the organization succeeds. So if I understand correctly, if you are a business owner or manager, it's important to support and dedicate energies to your teams because they, in a way, are providing a foundation for the overall organization. Am I getting this right? Exactly. If you're leading at the organizational level, which means that I lead people who lead people, then what I'm trying to do is create an organization that, that that has a culture and a context and an environment for teams and individuals to thrive and to achieve at very high levels. So that's why in my tri-emergent system that the leading organizations is where those organizational leaders learn how to create that kind of organization. So then in, in a large organization where I may have people, uh, you know, three three levels down in the hierarchy that I never see, I need to have influence over them. And the way I do that is creating a culture and an organization where they have the freedom to work together and to work individually to achieve the results we've all agreed we need to achieve. I recently read a book about organizational culture. It was very interesting. A lot of concepts that we know intuitively but many times are not discussed per se, the idea being that the things a company says it supports and the things that it actually supports through its organizational culture are often different and sometimes are even in conflict. Do you see that? Uh, Absolutely. In my research for my degree, my research was going in and looking for unexamined beliefs and assumptions and how they influence the decision-making processes in an organization. And what I was looking for are maybe these beliefs and assumptions that we had had building for so long that we don't recognize they're working. And I wanted to determine, do they influence our decisions and therefore our behavior? And what I found in my research was that they do. I was able to, in the organization that I researched, to identify two uh, assumptions that influenced every decision at the individual and group level, and they were completely unaware of their influence. And so it's always true that we have uh, influence on our decision-making and our actions that that we're not aware of. And so what I do in my development of teams or organizations is to go back and look and try to understand what assumptions will get us where we want to go and then put those in intentionally so that we are congruent in what we believe and how we operate. When we look at today's organizational environment with issues such as attrition, either because of layoffs or the recession, an increase in workload for the individual members of the organization, an increase in cultural diversity because our country and its workforce has become increasingly diverse, and all of the changes that this brings into the organization, not to mention so many people that are in different geographic, different geographic locations, this must be affecting the corporate culture and the team environment. What are you seeing out there in the field when you're working and interacting with these folks? 
the great challenge I see is that people are just very, very busy, and they're struggling to get everything done that's required of them. As, as again, as the as the work force has gotten smaller, but the responsibilities and requirements have not uh, have not decreased, and so it's creating a very rapid pace. And uh, I see people burnt out. I see people uh, frustrated. I also see within working groups people that really are struggling to work together, and they may not be answering emails uh, as rapidly as they used to or responding to the calls, and it tends to be kind of slowing things down, making it more difficult to navigate through uh, all of the responsibilities that are there. And as a result of that, then the performance eventually is going to start uh, diminishing in those companies if they don't uh, position these workers back where they can actually engage and communicate and work together and support one another collectively. I'm afraid they're going to begin to see things fall through the gaps. As a team, as a team leader, what ways are there to address some of these issues to get buy-in? Because I have to imagine that in order for a team to function effectively and move forward toward its mission, there has to be buy-in as to the goal and a willingness to work with the other team members. Exactly. And uh, in my system for developing teams, I actually uh, have taken the four phase model, but the third phase, as I teach it, is buy-in. We need buy-in, but what I really uh, prepare and position leaders and team members to do is actually move beyond buy-in to ownership, because a lot of times we buy into something, but that just means we're kind of agreeing, going along with it, and and, and whenever we get to the level of creating ownership, that means that those leaders and employees have actually internalized where we're going, internalized our values, internalized our mission and it and it guides their behavior and decision making processes which then it which then it positions them to be empowered and trusted and when they're empowered and trusted they can move more quickly and uh, achieve more if you can explain to us uh, in a simple way I, I realize this is a a whole process that you've developed, but in a an abbreviated way, what is the secret to getting this ownership that you're describing, getting team members to really buy into the concept and make it their own? Uh, I believe the, the key concept is to move from delegation to empowerment. And in terms of creating ownership, delegation occurs when I give you my work to be done for me, usually in the way I prescribe. So I would give you my work, I'll tell you what I wanted done, and I would get that work back from you. Uh, if I were to if I were to give you my work today, how would that would that be something that uh do you like doing my work for me? I mean if I were to give you my work today, would that be something you say, Oh, I'm excited about doing Clint's work today? Well I'm sort of crazy that way, so I might be excited to learn about what you do, but of course, I don't have the knowledge necessary. Right, but just say that we work together, Elena. Say that you and I were, were working and that I was your manager or leader. And I were coming to you and I say, I've got to get this done today, so I'm, I, I want you to do it, and here's how I want it done. Just go do this and bring it back to me. That's, that's, that's the model of delegation, which usually creates low ownership. You're just doing what you're told. You may feel kind of used because you don't have any voice. You may not, you may, I may not ask you what you think about it. And, and so what I what I teach leaders to do is move to empowerment. And empowerment, instead of you giving me uh, me giving you my work, I'm giving you your work. So I would come to you and I'd say, Elena, uh, here's your work. I want to give you this work. You own this work. I want to support you in getting this work done. And that creates that ownership and that responsibility. And then I need to hold you accountable for that which you've agreed to own. And so that shift alone can make a lot of difference in moving people toward ownership. The problem is it's just not that simple, so we have to work with our leaders to help them develop the skills and leadership capacity to develop employees and groups of employees to that level of ownership. Clint, do you look at the employees individually in order to make that assessment? And the reason I ask that is because I find that different individuals have different requirements, and if I approach everyone the same way, I don't get the same results. That's absolutely that's absolutely correct, Elena. If 
so as a leader, it's my responsibility to know the resources and the people on my team and to empower them appropriately so that they can succeed. And if I lack resource, then I have a development issue. How do I invest in these people to help them become the resource that we need because we may not have all of that resource right now? So it is the leader's responsibility to be aware of who is on his team to, or her team and to work with them to ensure that they are performing at the highest level by knowing them. Uh, there's another significant shift that I work with these uh, builders of team, these leaders of teams, and that is to shift the way they look at the group of people themselves. Most most leaders or managers, when they're assigned a responsibility, they look at that job, they look at that work, and they determine how to do that work, and then they give it to someone. Um, but to build a team, you really have to reverse that. So the leader's skill is in bringing the team together and helping the team collectively look at the work and, and work together in the best way to accomplish the responsibility they've been given. And so that's a significant shift for most managers and leaders, actually all of them that I work with. In terms of that process, then, it sounds like you have a certain grassroots, I'm going to call it, process, meaning that you need to get this ownership development from the team members. But before you do that, you need to develop the leadership skills of the leader, him or herself. Is, is that right? Absolutely, and that's where you, when, when you introduced me, you mentioned that I've developed this system based on a different look, lens or look or theory of organization. And what ha- what happened, what has happened to us in terms of organizational life in companies, and this is true in nonprofits, for profits, uh, in government, is that we have defined leadership as someone responsible to tell others what to do, and management frankly is, is defined much the same way. And so they, in practice, they end up looking a lot alike. And that is so deep within our psyche that in, in, even when we, we think we're doing something new, it influences our behavior. It's one of those things that is really deep in what we believe. And so the, so the result of that in many instances is someone changes their language, but they really don't change their practice. So, okay, uh, someone says, okay, we're going to become a team. And so they talk about being a team, but they actually the only practices they know to build a team are historic management practices, and, and therefore they work against that capacity to build a team. So what I develop in these leaders is the capacity to build that team by giving them a different lens. For instance, earlier you mentioned there are some of the things that we know are there when you read the book on culture, but we just don't pay attention to. Many of those things are the things that I help these leaders see, the the tools that are available to them, but we just have been ignoring one of the the things that I have encountered, one of the responses that I have encountered when attempting something similar to what you're describing by offering someone an opportunity to develop a program that is of interest to them that meets their goals and needs has been fear and downright rejection and the desire for me to assign them something that is structured and with easy to follow steps and when i've said no you're in the driver's seat it's it's up to you to define what you want to do how you want to do it and in what timeline and i've had a reaction that was very full of fear and at at times the result has been a total shutdown where they've basically said they, they can't function that way. Is this a common reaction? This was a relatively young person, but is this a common reaction? Yes, because the other side of the way that we have managed is that people are waiting to be told what to do. And so it is a huge cultural and practice shift for someone then to be asked to think and to become accountable and take responsibility. And it's very unsettling. That's why these leaders need the skills to help people get move that direction. And that's why they have to work through these phases to develop that team. Uh, there are people that uh, that are that way somewhat naturally. In other words, they prefer to be told what to do. But even people who tend to be pretty independent, if they believe that a leader is supposed to tell them what to do, they may not act until that leader does. I've had people go through my training and come back and say that the people they were leading accused them of not leading anymore because they're not telling them what to do. 
the other thing that I've observed is leaders who are reticent in their roles. They don't want to be in charge. They don't want to tell others what to do. Have you seen this? What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And what I find in, in training leaders, and I believe that, that all of us can develop leadership skills and capacities. So when I'm training leaders, I have five leadership capacities that we work on. And, and the idea of developing a capacity is that I can learn this, it's a process of learning, and I can get better at it, and I can practice leading. But a lot of people define leadership as telling, again, this idea of direct dominating, telling people what to do, and that's not, that's not who they are. And so what I want leaders to learn is how to lead out of who you are and be effective so that while you may not be someone who tells people what to do, you have some skills that you can bring to pulling a group of people together to achieve a shared mission and to achieve shared and individual goals. In terms of that culture concept that we've discussed, the overall culture of the company and its effect on the team and its culture, would you say that that comes from the top and trickles down? Or how would you say that that is developed and and how do you deal with that when you're working with these teams? Well, culture develops over time and it has usually developed from the from the top down, but it but it may not be the current leadership that has developed it. In other words, it may have been pretty strongly there. And one of the bigger challenges of change is not all of these change initiatives initiatives we're doing. If they in our organizations today that are failing, many of them fail because they don't know how to change the culture. That is to to take the beliefs that are operating and determining how we operate and interact with each other and approach our work and change those beliefs out. And so uh, it is a huge opportunity for leaders at the organizational level to have a big impact by by changing the culture, primarily by re, reorienting the organization based on a different set of beliefs about what that organization is there to achieve, how that organization should function, what's most important in that organization, and and then take those beliefs and actually put them on the ground in terms of measurement related to achievement of mission and vision. And how do you do that? Well, you you have to go back and identify the beliefs, uh, and and, and I would, in, in the way that I approach an organization, we would call these the core values. That is, what is it that we believe about um, our organization in terms of our, the areas that we will not negotiate? For instance, the mission of my company is to revolutionize the way people work together. So I want everyone in my company to believe what we're working on is revolutionizing the people, the way people work together. So when they talk to a client, when they walk in to do coaching, if, if, if I go into an organization, that is what I, I believe I'm there to do. And that will influence my behavior, it influences my dialogue, it influences everything about me. And the idea is once you put that belief in place and operate in it long enough, it becomes a new culture because it becomes an unconscious influence that influences your decisions and behavior. So it's identifying those beliefs, and that can be the mission, the vision, and the core values. Uh, And beliefs as simple as that as a leader, my job is not to tell you what to do as a leader. My job is to empower you and position you to succeed as you attempted to do with that person who was hesitant to accept that responsibility. So what you're doing is you're conveying a belief about leadership and they had a different belief, a different and so you had kind of a clash there about how this should work, which would be a culture clash between you and that other person. Once you get a new client, for example, maybe if we can go through some of the process, it will help us all understand and learn from the system that you've developed. Once that you're working with a new client, or maybe it's an existing client but a new team, what is the process that you use, sort of a big picture way without giving away the secret ingredients to your process, would you tell us how you go about establishing the process and getting this ownership all the way from the leaders to the team members? Well, I I actually customize what I bring to each organization depending on their need, their size, and where they are and what they have in place. 
and then build upon it. Because every organization, depending on its size and age and what it's done before I before I started working with them, they're all different. So I don't I don't have a cookie cutter approach. So what I want to do is go in and understand where the organization is and what it's trying to accomplish. And the, the, the first thing I'm looking for is, does my approach fit where you want to go? Because, it, again, it is a different way of looking at uh, leading, and, and it does mean that many of your leaders may have to change their practices at, at many levels. So I want to make sure that I'm a fit with where you want to go in terms of what you believe about leadership and where you want your organization to go. And then we just, uh, sometimes I'll do an assessment. Sometimes they they have an assessment. Like this. They have a, they, I have some clients who just, use a part of the training to help their managers. I have others where I've done assessments of leaders, and then we did coaching of leaders and did strategy, strategic planning, and worked in those processes to position the organization, prepare it for the teams to uh, align. So it's very much a, it's very much a uh, uh, an individual engagement in terms of me, under, help, me really trying to understand where you are and how we can help in, in fitting your needs at the moment. I realize that this is going to vary from project to project, when, what would you say is the amount of time or the range of time that it takes on average to create this positive team culture from the point that you begin to the point where you're able to measure results? If, if I am a, a team leader, in other words, if I'm a person who has a group of people that I lead and I begin to put these practices in play, then I can get fairly immediate results. Uh, for instance, I had a client a couple of years ago, and there's a case study about it on my on my website. And this client had been through um, all of the management training, the traditional management, and tried all of those practices. And when I met with this person, uh, she said with me, I, I, I've done everything I know doing, nothing's working. And there was a lot of conflict in the team, and goals weren't being achieved. And so this was a smaller organization. So we actually arranged to do coaching with this person, and then we we worked with the team. And I have a, I, I, for those employees, I have a, a training called Being a Team Player, which helps them understand their side of that. And I, we did some coaching with her. Um, and by the time we completed the coaching, which was over a period of about six weeks, uh, at the last time we met together, the team environment and culture had completely changed and they'd, they'd reached their goal for the first time in several months. So it can be pretty immediate if you, because you're changing your practices and, uh, and doing things differently than you've done. You can see some pretty immediate results. At the organizational level, it takes a little longer because, again, it's a cross-scale. Uh, but at the team level, it can be pretty immediate. Have you observed or are you, do you have any thoughts on leadership skills or differences between, for example, genders or geographic location, age? Are there people who, for whatever reasons, are more likely to be better leaders? Uh, I think some people naturally uh, have more leadership ability, but I, I don't believe that anyone can say I'm not a leader and, and, and justify that if they're willing to understand who they are, which is, again, what I do in that leading self program. Who am I and how do I lead myself? Because the way I lead myself impacts everything else I do. So if I make the choice to lead myself in a way that I can lead other people and I lead out of who I am, then I can be a leader. Now, there's some people that, again, that's more natural for than others. But it all begins in who am I and how do I lead out of who I am. And I have yet to meet a person that they cannot improve that capacity and make a difference. And I haven't met everyone, so I can't. I can't. But uh, but I have yet to meet someone that we've worked with that in the end they did, they were not able to, to develop some leadership capacity and, and improve their leadership skills. Are there teams that reject the leader because of external reasons, meaning his or her religious affiliation or race or gender or any other reason, and how do you deal with that? Well, cer- certainly, you know, we all have our biases, and, and the ones we're aware of we can work on, obviously, with in, in knowledge. It's the ones that we may not be aware of that many times get us, uh, cause us problems. But what we do with, 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 as, with our team leader 
is we really push toward embracing diversity. And I broaden diversity beyond just the legal definitions of diversity in the workplace. So diversity is anything that makes me different because the power of teamwork is in keeping that diversity alive and engaging it in ways that we learn from one another and come up with solutions we wouldn't learn if we were all the same. So one of the things we really work on for leaders is how do you allow people to be who they are yet still connect to other people without losing that. It's kind of that integration yet enough differentiation that I don't lose who I am. One of the big areas I see this uh, challenge, it's most evident, is in the area of different personalities. It's very common in, in work groups for personalities not to understand and appreciate each other and frankly drive each other crazy. And so what I help, try to help people understand is that person that's driving you crazy is probably the one you need the most because they're probably doing things you don't want to do. And so what we want to help leaders do is help everyone be accepting in a way that we appreciate that diversity and see that it is the interaction with diversity that causes us to come up with new ideas, to be creative, to be more innovative. That's, uh, that's really interesting. A lot of leadership programs, curiously enough, tend to have a culture that is subtly enforcing a certain group culture that does not celebrate diversity. It's very interesting to hear that perspective that the diversity is a critical element to the dynamic. What kinds of responses do you get from the corporate culture and from the groups when you bring that forth? Um, usually, there's, there's uh, again, we all have our biases we may struggle with, but, but, but we all want to be appreciated and we all want to be accepted. So, for the most part, we believe we should do that to other people, and we want that for ourselves. So I, 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 I seldom get any pushback on that that should be done. The challenge I find is is in leaders and, and coworkers and members of your team who actually know how to do that well. And that's where the training and building the capacity comes in. So uh, the idea people enjoy, but the skills take some time to develop sometimes. How do you, how as a leader do you pull this diversity together and help people understand it's important that, that we keep that so that we can employ that diversity in our interactions to challenge one another in a way that we, that we achieve at a higher level. And also that if I give up my diversity and we're all the same, I'm losing some of the strengths of my team because what I'm good at and what you're good at may be different, and we need that difference too so that you can focus and achieve at your higher level and I can focus and achieve at my higher level. What do you find to be the biggest challenge in trying to accomplish these goals? The biggest challenge is what we believe before we start, and that is what we've been trained and learned about the way organizations should work historically based on scientific management principles that are that are now 100 years old. And, and that's the biggest challenge I see is trying to get past those mental models and develop new mental models of how this could work in a different way. And how do you do that, Clint? Because we know, of course, that most people are resistant to change. It's just human nature. The majority of people don't want to change. Yes, it's very interesting how that which is not working and comfortable is is more attractive to us than that which works that we don't know. I mean, (laughs) that kind of defines our human nature. And so that's part of our training process. It is to put people in situations where their mental models are so changed and they can see the difference that the change will make for them uh, in a way that's positive enough that they're willing to pay the price to change. Uh, and so that that occurs. That's that that's what our job is as a as a company is to is to challenge those mental models and help people see the alternative. And usually that requires interaction with someone or something uh, outside of ourselves that helps us challenge ourselves. Typically very hard to do that on your own. How long would you say it takes the average person that goes through your process to complete it? Well, if they go through the trimergent system, there are 10 units of learning for each one. So there's leading self and there's a system for that, leading teams and leading organizations. And depending on on how they want to approach it. You know, it can be a talent management system or perhaps uh, I have clients who we do one we do one session a quarter uh, at times. So, uh, again, it's very much about the pace that they receive the information. If you're working with, say, creative people versus 
in box oriented people i'm going to say people who like to follow a certain structure versus in another type of group does this have an impact in the pace and in the process itself oh absolutely uh, you know the willingness to learn the intensity of the experience um has a lot to do with how fast a person processes uh how willing they are to work on whatever we're working on in what area, but but the the way that we present the material um, is, is systematic enough for box people to have something to walk through, and open enough for for the creative people to kind of experience it that way. That's that's part of the again the developmental process. So it's not that it's that there, there are definitions and there are ways of using it. For instance. Um, uh, we shift the way a leader might believe about authority. So being a leader, if it's positional, means I have the authority to tell you what to do, so I'm going to use that authority to tell you what to do. So what we say is, okay, you do have authority, but let's use that authority a different way. Let's use that authority like you used it to help people be empowered. So if if a leader says, I'm the decision maker, they're using their authority to make decisions, I would say to that leader, it's equally a use of, of authority to decide to engage the team in decision making. But it doesn't feel the same to many leaders, so I've got to help them see how to take that idea of authority and use it in a way that actually builds a team, empowers people, and positions them for success by investing in them versus telling them what to do. So that would be one of the shifts we would say is, okay, authority is no longer telling people what to do. Authority is making the decision on how we should come together. So it is an authoritative statement to say we will be a team. It is an authoritative statement to say I want us to appreciate our diversity together. And, and, and by doing that, then we begin to develop this path toward becoming a team, achieving our goals. And so that's that's one area of shift that would be pretty evident. Do you see a resistance to that way of thinking more prevalent, say, in higher management or in, among the ranks or among the individual leaders? Are people, for example, from certain cultures more desiring of a familiar system, of the top-down that you were describing a minute ago? What kinds of uh, thoughts can you share with us on that? One of the big challenges in many organizations uh, are silos, and so what happens is in many or in many companies, particularly, they when they think about a team, they only think about the production level or the people who are dealing with the clients. They don't think as a, as teams working throughout the whole organization. So, what happens in many organizations, they kind of operate in an individual way and silo all the way to the bottom, and they expect the people that are actually at the at the non-supervisor level to be a team. And what I would suggest is is that we need teams at all level because each level has its own responsibility. And, and, and what you're asking people to do when they're a team at the non-supervisory level with a supervisor but it's nowhere else in the organization, then that team is trying to operate countercultural. And so what we really have to do is help these. The senior leaders really don't see themselves as team leaders in most organizations. They don't look at the group they lead as, as a team. They tend to see them as more individualistic. So that's one uh, shift that I think would have to occur in many organizations to actually deploy this teamwork approach in terms of okay I'm a, I'm leading a team and this team has organizational responsibilities so as a team we want to work on being organizational leaders while we're operating as a team versus I'm just an organizational leader so I'm not really on a team uh, I just have a supervisor that I report to above me. What about measurement, Clint? How do you know? if your process is working or at what pace it's working and for which individuals it's working. Because, for example, I could see a situation where you're working with a team and some of the people are embracing the concepts and some others are not. How do you figure out or do you figure out individual advancement within that process? Well, uh, when, I, when we're training team leaders, uh, I teach team leaders that they have two responsibilities and they have to fulfill both responsibilities all the time. And their two responsibilities are build the team and deliver the results the organization expects. You cannot sacrifice either one because if you sacrifice building the team, you're hurting your performance. If you sacrifice performance, you have people that enjoy being around each other, but they don't get anything done. 
And so we, we integrated in the training on becoming a team is also aligning that team in the organization in a goal structure. So if the organization has strategic goals, then that team as a group aligns their goals on the organization's goals. And then each individual in the team aligns their goals with the team's goals. And so the reason we do all of the things we've been discussing is to make sure those goals are hit. And if they're not, then that's when we begin investing in the leadership capacity of development. So we measure progress by are we achieving our goals individually and collectively and delivering to the organization that which it expects of us in terms of the organizational goals. So so the performance side is built into it as well as the, the team building side. Both progress together. For those of our listeners who like the idea of hiring an outside consultant such as yourself to come and help them change their structure gain an understanding, perhaps, of their culture. Because I think one of the challenges is that many organizations are not clear on what that unwritten organizational culture is. And implementing this process that you've shared with us, what is that process like? Well, again, basically, you know, what I would like to do is just sit down and talk to them and hear where they want to go, what their challenges are, and and help them define the outcome that they're looking for and then map out a path to them how to get there. And our desire is to be a partner, so we want to do what's best for for our clients. Um, And so what we want to try to do is bring this revolution of how we work together in a way that gets them where they want to go. So I, so I always start with my clients on what outcome are you looking for. And once we have that outcome, then we can come back and use the tools and processes and other other uh, resources we have to help them get there. And, and again, we, we, we work very hard to make sure that we get there. So, so sometimes that may include coaching a senior leader while uh, working with that person's team. Sometimes we just do the coaching. Sometimes it's training for several managers. Sometimes it's bringing the employees in and helping them understand that w- what's going on with all of this new approach to leading. So it's very much about us sitting down and saying, okay, what outcome do we want? And then we, we map out and collaborate with our, with our uh, clients how to get there. What is the quickest turnaround that someone might see and what is the longer end of that that, say, a larger company or a more complex situation might require? Well, you know, a small company, even like a startup where there's just, um, you know, like one group of people, the turnaround can be very quick because, again, the, the dynamics change quickly or a company that's, you know, probably 50 employees or less it can change quickly. When you get into very large organizations that have established cultures over scale and geography, obviously it's a much longer process. And uh, and one of the things I, I see that's challenging too is a lot of the um, a lot of the newer or younger managers who this resonates with are bumping into middle management that ha- that, that doesn't think this way. And so. Uh, sometimes a lot of organizations, uh, sometimes they think about training these new managers in, in, in an approach like we have, but the middle managers haven't seen it, and so it creates some tension there. So you really have to have a senior leadership, executive level buy-in for this to work, because if you start at the bottom, it just there's, it's just very difficult for it to move upward. You really have to start at the top and, and let it flow down into the organization. So say the small startup that you mentioned a moment ago, are we looking at a two-day program or a week? What, When you say quickly, what can you help us better understand? Sure, sure. For, for example, if, if, um, if, this, if the members of a startup team are, are having difficulty getting on the same page, they just need to get on the same page in terms of, mission, vision, value, strategy, and goals, then that can, you know, we can sometimes do that in two days. If they're struggling getting along, then, again, we may need to help work on personality issues. We may need to help understand team development and assess where they are and help them. I have a team assessment tool where I can go in and help them understand where they are and make some very uh, direct uh, investment in overcoming some particular challenges. And, and again, we can get them moving very quickly if they commit and follow through with that. So uh, some things I do, uh, I worked with a, 
a group and I worked with one day and we got their mission, their vision, their core values in, in place and they were they were off and running. So again, it's very much about where they are and what they need. I have other clients that we end up doing you know assessments that take a, a couple of weeks to get done or some of them a couple of months so we really understand what's going on in the organization and we can we can address it uh, in, a way, in a way that we build off of that assessment and we customize and tailor an approach after the fact. So it's again, it's just it's it can be anything from okay, here's a here's some coaching for a leader that's uh, you know two and a half hours once a month for a few months, or I'm going in for a day or two up to uh, years of investment in a large organization where we uh, help them make some transition in terms of their managers' uh, building teams. Do you find a tendency on the part of people who have learned these new approaches to fall back over time to the old ways that they were familiar with? And and if so, did you go back and do an assessment as, as part of that process? How does that work? All of my evidence on that is anecdotal, but the people that I have spoken with, once they learn these practices don't want to go back because they work. Again, the example of the case study I gave, two years later, uh, we, we go in and, and, and it's, it's working. They haven't, they're, they're still using what was two years ago. And actually, uh, when we wrote the case study a little earlier this year, they had reached their highest goal ever since they'd been working together. So we, we, we really want to make a difference so that when we leave, you don't have to go back. If you want to use these tools, they go in this. In my leading self uh, training, I have that in a training for groups or individual coaching, I have people uh, after seven or eight years coming back saying that that still was the defining factor in their life in terms of helping them lead themselves, understand themselves, and live out of uh, out of who they are and lead out of who they are, and it helped their career in terms of their career path and that kind of thing. So my anecdotal evidence is that once people learn a, a new way of thinking and see things differently and gain the skills to do it, that they they tend to continue to benefit from those. Now, obviously, there may be people out there that I, you know, that I haven't heard back from that say, well, that just didn't work. But, but those people have not come back to me and said it didn't work. Once we get them there, we typically haven't had to go in and do retraining. What kind of a financial investment is required in terms of any fees, of course, that they would have to pay a consulting specialist such as you and your company? But in addition to that, of course, there's a loss of productivity while they're undergoing the training. What kind of an investment would you say? Maybe you can share a range. You know, what's the minimum that, say, that startup might be able to invest in order to get that process going? And what kinds of fees might a large multinational well, be facing? Uh, of course, uh, one of the big challenges in 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 the training or coaching or anything you do when you pull people out of the workplace is lost productivity. I kind of kid the people that'll be in a room with me for a day training. I say, you look back, somebody else is doing your work today while you're with me, right? And then we all laugh because there is lost productivity. Uh, and so the, the question has to be in terms of engagement, is what I'm learning making enough difference that when I get back, I will gain more than I lose? And so we always try to to, to work toward that end that that when you go back, you have skills and and and, and uh, practices that, that that pay you back over time, both financially and in time and in expertise and in quality of workplace. So if you know if if um, a, sm- a small startup that uh, that just engages us at a minimal level can be you know five thousand dollars and up. Uh, in some instances, maybe even less than that. And then of course, large corporations who you're working with over years. That, that, I mean, there's it can be a significant investment over time, and, and that, I mean, I, I wouldn't know where to put a top end on that. And uh, again, you just create a partnership and work until you're done. But um, you know, the, initially for a smaller organization, the investments are not are not that large compared to um, some of the losses they may have if these things aren't settled early. For instance, if you're stuck in your team and you can't move, and you're not, and you're not not clear on where you're going, that lost time in terms of potential future revenue can be pretty uh, pretty costly. Clint, what suggestions would you share with our listeners of how they might address this issue? I realize that at a big picture level it's more complex than 
just two or three tips, but for someone who is not ready to make these big changes, wants to take baby steps or wants to test out a theory, what suggestions, say three suggestions, would you share with them that they can take back to their work, to a project, to a team, and try this out with baby steps? Um, going back to our discussion about just being a team leader who's trying to kind of get my team moving, there are three things that I would suggest. The first one is most leaders or managers, when they set expectations with the, the people that work for them, they set individual expectations. So, Elaine, if I work for you, you would set me down and say, here's kind of what we expect and here's how things work. But they don't set expectations with the team as a group. And so I suggest that you get the group together and put together some expectations which are healthy relational expectations and say, here's how I expect us to work together. So just setting those expectations gives you something to hold people accountable to in terms of teamwork that we will connect to one another in a way that where we support one another. Uh, the second thing uh, I would say is to to move your the members of your team toward collaborative behaviors to ask them to consider others before they do their job. So if we work together, Elena, I would suggest uh, that our team leader might tell us that if I have a if I'm working on a on something that I'm responsible for, and, and and even though you aren't responsible for it, if it impacts you, I go learn how it impacts you before I do it, and I do it in a way that we both benefit. Because when I begin to practice that, we begin to experience collaborative behavior. And then the third thing is, if you've got a group of people working together that do not understand each other in terms of their personality. Um, uh, help them understand each other and appreciate that difference so that, for instance, I tend to be more big picture, so I'm not real good with details. So, uh, frankly, detail people can drive me crazy sometimes. But the reality is I need them. So what I have to learn to do is accept that person who's detailed to cover me in terms of being a big picture person and vice versa. So help people appreciate those differences and that diversity in a way that you bring it together and the team wins versus it creating problems for you. So those would be the three things that I would mention that I think could make a lot of difference pretty quickly for a leader who began to practice them. To summarize, start by setting expectations that are clear to everyone. Mm-hmm. The okay. next step is to consider others before mm-hmm. they start the job and right. help team members understand each other. Did, did I get that right? Exactly. And, and the only thing I'd say about the first one is set group expectations, not individual. Here's how we're going to work as a group. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Clint, for joining us from Georgetown, Texas. It it has been my pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, Elena. And to our audience, thank you for listening to J. Clint Anderson, Ph.D., who is founder and president of the J. Clint Anderson Company, about ways to create a positive team culture. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicMPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicMPR.com. That's editor at HispanicMPR.com.